You're listening to the Multifamily Innovation Show with Patrick Antrim, your source for innovative strategies for multifamily professionals, CEOs, executive leaders, and aspiring leaders that want to drive high-performance results for their property or portfolio. Welcome in, Rachel. So glad to have you here. Yeah, in fact, last time you were in the studio, uh, it was quite a while ago. I mean, it was well, not that long, but it was last June, I think, right? Yeah, and then in October for a training. That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. So, a few times. what's been new since then? Like, a lot has changed. <sighs> Just growing teams. I mean, as you talked about with John earlier, the, the Phoenix market is crazy. So, lots of acquisitions and building up people and navigating the COVID world and growing rent. Yeah. And dealing with all the eviction issues, just lots of busyness, but all good stuff. Yeah. You said acquisitions. Now, you're with Asset Living now. Correct. Correct. Do you want to talk about that at all? Absolutely. So I joined the Shelton team back in 2017 before we were ever a part of the Asset family. But as many of you know, as you know, we, we joined the Asset family just over a year ago. It's been a really fantastic merger, the leadership with Ryan McGrath and certainly Tom Shelton. Just the joining of those two families has been a huge success for everybody. Um, watching two different worlds kind of collide and, and watching all of the success that, that comes out of that has been really fun to be a part of. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, as if there wasn't new change or new modifications to just traditional business, um, there's a lot learned in those acquisitions uh, about ourselves and you know, two companies coming together. Um, that's pretty interesting. So tell me, what what uh, what are you excited about? We're talking a little bit about risk management and what you've been doing as a regional operator, but let's start lead with what are you excited about coming through all of this? What, I, what I've loved, if I can use the word loved, about the COVID environment is just the way we've challenged ourselves. And we've had to identify solutions in really short timelines. We didn't have the luxury of, pulling committees together and mm. testing different ideas at different sites. We really had to take action and we had to take it by three o'clock this afternoon. And we've seen a lot of success. I think the pandemic emboldened us to take risks and actions that we just, we would have tiptoed around prior mm. to that. And I think moving forward, as we hopefully come into a post pandemic era, we can, we can continue with that same boldness and test new ideas, knowing and looking back on our prior successes. So that is so encouraging to me. There's a lot of heartbreak around COVID, but this has been a really positive outcome, I believe. Yeah, so we have a lot of investors and operators uh, tuning in. And, um, you know, the regional role back when I was acquiring portfolios was the most important role. It was that wedge between, you know, that our corporate office, as we say, right, and the on-site teams and their ability to put great people on site to show up and win for the customer. How has life been for you as a regional portfolio director? Well, I mean, there's so many, there's so many facets to this particular role. You know, I have the, my, my client, obviously, and then I have my internal clients. So Tom and, and certainly Ryan, and then I have my team and, and I treat them like a client also. So it's just working with those various bodies. And that I think it for the regional is the, can be a, a stressful, experience. But when you really, when you harness the priorities of each client, and then you can navigate and kind of blend those priorities together is where we find the magic happening. For me, I feel like the most success comes in hiring 
great teams. I just this morning I was I was texting with my my managers and I just thanked them saying I I couldn't do what I do without you and the the way that you pour into your people on site. And when you can find the right leaders, the the execs at each of those sites, you can grow properties, you can grow portfolios. And for me that's the biggest challenge and and the greatest reward also. Yeah, and we've talked about in this session together with you, which was how to stay open <laughs> instead of figuring out how to right. be closed. How is that framework? Where did that come from? Well, as the pandemic was kind of crashing down on us a year ago about this time, our first response was just, we have to close down. Everything was getting closed down. And in that environment and that conversation with the residents just became about keeping you safe. And we need to learn more about this disease, about this virus before we can create policy about how to be open. Well, we're here now a year later and we need to open. People are tired of being at home. It's not safe to be at home. In many ways, the risk of being at home are as great, if not greater than the virus itself. So from an operation standpoint, how can we be open and safe at the same time? And so now the conversation is changing. And I think that looks a little bit different depending upon the operator and the owner. And if you're an owner operator, certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be very specific with your values. Whereas a fee manager, like for myself or for asset living, we, we take into account the various priorities and values and objectives of our clients. And so the, the policies will shift and, you know, really be, mm. we have to be very nimble in the way we create policy in that environment. So really we just, it's how do we be open? How do we do it really, really well, make people feel safe and also create the community that, that our people really desire. Yeah. What are some lessons, I guess, coming out of this that you've learned in, in, in I guess, moving through those challenges? You don't have to have face-to-face interaction the way we once believed we did. Now, I do not ever want to underestimate the power of face-to-face relationships and this kind of this kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. But we've learned that we can do self-guided tours over a video camera. Sure. We can have self-guided tours over the phone with a high degree of success. My portfolios have all performed, even outperformed my expectations during COVID. So that's really, really encouraging news. Um, so I would... I would say moving forward, we should continue to in, engage the technology to the degree that we have and look for new ways to utilize that platform. I also think we need to re- reevaluate how we deploy resources. You know, in the COVID environment, we all had money set aside for, for social activities and then social activities got mixed. So how, how could we take that funding and redeploy it so that we can still create community or be open on some level and just repurpose that money? And so that was a really important conversation to have, you know, as a, as a regional team with the asset group and then also on the site level with the site team and those clients. How can we repurpose this money so that it's serving our current needs? Yeah. And, and, and so tell me a little bit how you're doing that. I, I'm, so those are investor conversations. Right. Hey, you know, we expected this. Um, let's move this line item over here, and and this would allow us to to think differently about it. So, Ab- give absolutely. me an example of, uh, I guess, maybe something that you guys have done that kind of shifted that. Sure. We've got one client. They had a huge budget for for community activities. We couldn't do those very well, so we redeployed that cash and had 
hired additional staff to just oversee the fitness center, which was a 24-7 amenity. We had to modify some hours, but with that money, we could repurpose it into labor, bring someone on full-time to monitor, to sanitize, to remind people to wear their masks, and really protect the fitness center space because people in a pandemic still needed a way to be healthy and live an active life. And and while they're, they're, they're paying their rent, it's for the rent, it's not for the fitness center, we understand that they were making their buying decisions based on amenity and services. And so how can we repurpose some of those funds to protect certain amenities? So just taking the social events activity and turning it into labor, having that person on site. Or at one of my sites, we already had an on-site housekeeper. So we said, look, she's going to be strictly amenities. And now Mm -hmm. we're going to bring in a third-party company to do our turn, our turn clean. So just really going back to the drawing board, taking a look at the resources you already have and say, how can I do it differently? Yeah. That's interesting. And regional managers, as you know, you, even when you're out on your own personal ventures, you're, you're starting to, you notice things like the, you know, other hospitality, other groups, what uh, property that is in good condition. And you, you can notice all these things as our training goes. Um, I would suspect that um, do you see any of this retreating after things go back to what we call normal? Maybe this is the normal, but were we even doing a good job before this cleaning? Like <laughs> when you look at what we're doing now for these amenity areas? Well, it's kind of funny you say that. I was at the corporate <laughs> office and I was having a training for my managers. And after everybody left, of course, I was wiping down all the tables because we'd had all the the best practices in place. And uh, Sharon, she's our VP, came in and she said, you know, if we just did this all the time, pandemic or not, we, none of us would get a cold. And yeah. I'm like, truth, actually. Right. You know, we we prided ourselves on being, you know, so hygienic and so modern and, you know, up to speed on, on all of the health practices. But we didn't wipe down tables after we used them. So I think the pandemic has adjusted and modified some of our, our responses and behaviors moving forward. I think we will forever be carry hand sanitizer in our mm. back pocket or in the glove box of our car. So in little ways, I think we have reshaped um, the way we, we make decisions moving forward. Yeah. And our residents are observing all of these, these activities. Um, are they the new conversations coming in, even with the self-guided tours? Is that expectation changing based off of what you said before? Like, you know, I'm buying for the amenities and the rooftop pool and, or whatever that may be. Are you seeing that conversation shift? No, I think the residents, their buying habits are still their buying habits. They still want what they want. Like someone said it earlier, they want what they want when they want it. We provide a service. It's our job to make sure that happens. But we just have to to be mindful of how to do that in this new kind of world. So it certainly is reshaping our policy and our best practices, but we still have to deliver everything that they expect and hope for. And, And that's our goal. Yeah. So who drives that risk conversation? Is it on site? Are you doing it? Is it compliance, insurance, asset managers, individual investors? Um, Are you seeing more focus on risk mitigation or or at least management? Oh, absolutely. But I think the the conversation is highly collaborative and I think it should Mm. be. So you need the technical experience. You need, you know, you need the CDC guidance. You need the person who's 
highly driven and motivi- motivated by all of the rules and, and dotting every I and, yeah. you know, crossing every T. You need that person in the conversation, but you also need site level people because they're, they're operating within the constraints that some high level office is feeding down to them. Mm. And how practically is that working? So if we don't involve those individuals in the conversations, I think we, we run the risk of just making policy for the sake of policy, which for me doesn't work in real life. But of course, if you're a third party manager, then the other part of that conversation is the client. You know, some clients are highly sensitive to COVID. And so they're willing to spend whatever it costs. They're, I've had clients say, don't raise the rents right now. I, I'm very deeply mm. concerned about these residents. And it's very important to me that they have a place to stay. So, you know, they're, they're very sensitive. And then we have other groups that while they're very sensitive, they recognize I'm running a business. And if, if this thing doesn't continue to cash flow at this level, then, then people are at risk. Housing is at stake. And so, you know, Rachel, regional property manager, I need for you to figure out how to make that happen regardless of the pandemic. So you have to bring a lot of people into that conversation. And then of course, networking, you know, John was here speaking earlier and and he said great things about staying connected to the AMA and your engagement with other leaders. And that has been happening. A lot of like cross-platform conversations, management companies getting together for lunch and having conversations after dinner saying, what are you guys doing? What is working? And where we think of ourselves first as an industry and secondary as a management company, we're all trying to survive Mm. the pandemic. And so we've linked arms. And those conversations have been really valuable because it creates this consistency for the industry. And that helps all of us when we're all kind of doing similar things. Our residents are are getting a similar experience and and that's been really positive. So, you know, HR people have to be involved. Clients have to be involved. Site people have to be involved. You know, we just have to engage our network. It's definitely a multi-dimensional conversation. Yeah. Are there things that you, you mentioned, you know, repurposing the, the financial resources to get the cleaning of the fitness room. Are, what are you doing with the pool areas and um, are, are they open now? Or Yeah, absolutely. Again, some of that is driven by the client and by the management company, but by and large, we're seeing that pools are open and have been open mostly uh, for the better part of the year. Early on, we, we closed it down. Mm. We took out all the pool furniture and then we slowly started opening things back up, especially as summer hit and people didn't have anywhere to go. They needed a place to to be active. So we opened up our pools, you know, we engaged, we, we removed pool furniture so that we could create this social distancing. We got all of the appropriate chemicals. We had the staff out there 65 times a day. So, and then of course we communicated and over communicated with the residents about how we're going to use the pool safely, but also understanding that you need to do something. You need to take your seven-year-old out. They can't just be cooped up in an apartment all day. They have to have an outlet. Yeah. So it's really just about communication and, and finding a, a collaborative approach between, you know, the corporate office, the site team and the residents. How, how do we open yeah. successfully for your benefit? Yeah. I mean, I can hear it in your voice, the in energy and the enthusiasm, the excitement around handling, I mean, taking care of all of these things. Uh, you know, what, what is, um, how how did how does another regional operator learn from that? Because you you have multiple investors that have multiple priorities and levels of risk, and you mentioned communication. How do you balance all of those different disciplines and priorities 
and also communicate so the teams you know that that are following you stay engaged and 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 focus on not only still doing the business but also being aware like hey we've got all we have a job to do here to protect as well the the, the asset and and the right. entities well i think when i when i hear your question I hear there's a lot of noise, like mm. with my job, there's a lot of noise, a lot of information mm. coming at me all the time and to other people who, who perform my same role. I think you need to find ways to make it simple. And so really it becomes about how can I serve this particular client? You know, I'm a fee manager, like I said, but if you're an owner operator, you need to make it simple for yourself. What are my priorities? What are my, what, what do I value first and foremost as a person, not just as a business, but what do I truly value? And then let that inform some of the policy. And then you have to, you have to remain energized. A lot of it is just your mindset. You know, if we take a look at this challenge as an opportunity to find success in new ways, we're going to find success in new ways. But if we understand the challenge to just be a barrier to the success, I don't think we pursue pursue solutions with the same kind of energy or vigor. So it's really about mindset. It's really about knowing where, where your true values lie, what your priorities are, and then engaging the right people in the conversation, staying close specifically to the site teams and to the client if you're a third-party manager. Mindset, values, principles, and engaging the right people. You know, it's interesting to me, um, there's, that information is not in training anywhere. Right. So what shaped your life or your world to land at that kind of, a, I mean, simplifying uh, all the complexities and the noise? How did you arrive at that? What work have you done? What mentors? Um, because that's not taught anywhere, right? Like you just have to experience it, maybe run into a problem and learn right. like, okay, this is how you fix that. Oh, make that note. You know, right. tell me about that journey to get to that remark you just made, because that was pretty refreshing. Well, I think to some degree it's formative, right? You know, I, I can go back to one example when I was really, really small. My dad had asked me to go get a boom box. Remember those from back mm-hmm. in the day? Big. I was probably yeah. seven, six or seven. So it was small. So the boom box was almost as big as me yeah. at the time. He asked me to carry it from one spot to another. It was quite the distance. And I, of course, didn't think I could do it because the thing was huge. It just had a little handle and, and he said, you can do it. You can do it. Just say, I can do it. I can do it. And so he didn't really expect that I would, but he wanted <laughs> I, to see maybe if I would. So I carried it across the way. And the whole time I'm carrying it and saying, I can do this. I can do this. Just chanting to myself. And I think that's one of my my earliest memories of just getting a little bit gritty or getting mm. a little stubborn with an idea. I just used that that word with a, a manager recently. Let's just get a little stubborn with this rent. We were talking about whether or not to decrease rates. And I said, no, I think we just wait a little longer, get a little stubborn with it. And I think probably that is just in my nature. Just I can get a little stubborn with something and maybe I, I buck the system by bucking the challenge and finding ways around it. But what what keeps me going is just remembering to look back. And when I when I find myself somewhat roadblocked or stalled, I can think, okay, Rachel, what other disaster have you come through? Mm. And what wins did you find in those opportunities? And I just let those prior victories, big and small, some of them, no one, no one else would even recognize or know about. But I draw on those experiences to kind of fuel me through the next, the next challenge. And Mm. 
becoming a regional right at the onset of COVID was probably one of the most profound challenges of my life. And so just walking through that mud in many ways, thinking to myself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, just kept me going. And bringing other mentors into my life, relying on Sharon and and Tom, and then of course the great leadership from Ryan and the gang there, just kept me going day by day. And as you amass these small victories, the next challenge is, is slightly less daunting. Yeah. And, and talk to me about the, you mentioned a little bit about rants and, and, and pausing and, um, you know, kind of uh, being stubborn in many cases uh, right. about that. What are you seeing? Are, you know, are you guys looking at, uh, and I don't want to be transactional here, but um, are you seeing any impact to the relationship between that and, and potentially the enforcement of any uh, conversations around the evictions uh, because nobody likes to do an eviction, but you have a business right. to run. Right. All of that risk that comes through, how you manage through that. Talk to me about your approach there. Yeah, evictions have gone a little nutty. I mean, mm-hmm. the COVID environment, the the shifting political sands, as John called it, has certainly changed the eviction mm-hmm. conversation. So first, let me just say I'm not an attorney but I do know great ones. And I would recommend any operator to to get connected to a very effective attorney. And that's what we have done. We've just leveraged those relationships with our legal experts and we talk to them early and we talk to them often and they really guide us through the decision-making process. But as far as evictions go, they're really, they are really very necessary. And I don't want to sound like a big, bad, evil landlord because certainly that's the reputation that we're getting. Um, but the right eviction can save a lot of people and mm. can make people safe. Um, you know, in a 300 plus unit building or even a hundred unit building, one bad resident who's, you know, behaving like a criminal, um, treating people poorly, making a lot of noise, making this, the property unstable by removing that individual from that environment, we've made a lot of other households far more comfortable and probably more safe. So I think we need to, we need mm. to remember what the eviction tool does hmm. for multifamily and for the the households that remain on the property after that eviction is complete. So, but in, in the COVID environment um, with COVID evictions, I think we have to remember, we have to get stubborn and we have to say, look, w- we are charged with a huge responsibility to protect the asset, to protect the staff, to protect the residents or do our very best. I mean, we're not genies in a bottle. We're not God. We don't we don't control all outcomes, but we do have some levers that we can pull and we need to make sure we dust them off and we're really engaging them. And so reaching out to that attorney and saying, hey, this is my situation. What are my options here? Mm. Um, and don't just think that because there's a CDC moratorium that your hands are tied because they are certainly not tied. And if you feel like they are, get an attorney or get a better one mm-hmm. <laughs> would be my advice because yeah. you have options. Yeah. And and the 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 public message hasn't helped accelerate right. that. You know, there's many other comparative businesses that, um, you know, don't have to respond in the way that we respond. Um, but, you know, there's, they've been told in many cases, uh, you don't have to pay rent and they can't evict right. you. And right. you know, combating that story, how, what's your approach been on that? Because there's all the fine details, like your property has to be structured under this, into, you know, loan program, but right. the news doesn't carry that message forward. So... Really, at the end of the day, so much of, of these conversations come down to relationships and how well you can have hard conversations with people. So a lot of our conversations with our residents have been very friendly and just saying, hey, look, 
we understand you can't pay your rent and for good reason. You've lost your job, like you're impacted in all these ways. We get it. We're not blind, but the rent will come due eventually. And what will that look like for you? What kind of impact should you expect to experience when the moratorium goes away and you owe 10 grand in rent? So how can I help you right now make that experience much more comfortable for Mm -hmm. you? So how can I help you apply? Can you pay $400 even though you owe a thousand? So just keeping people engaged in the conversation has helped keep the delinquency low because people are paying what they can. We're being patient on the rest. Clients have been great at certain times to waive, you know, late fees, even when they didn't have to, because we're just concerned about keeping people in their homes and, and protecting the future of our business. And so just willy nilly evicting people doesn't help anyone. Right. It doesn't help the landlords. It certainly doesn't help the tenants. So just stay in the conversation help these residents understand that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And if they work with us through this course of the pandemic, at the end of it, we stand a much greater chance of having them remain on the property. Mm -hmm. And then for those who don't engage in that conversation and who aren't, aren't showing us that they're COVID impacted, you know, then we, we leave it to the attorneys and we wait for them to advise us. Um, But really leverage your resident relationships and have those conversations they take time but it's a worthwhile conversation to have yeah are you how are you empowering your teams to i guess tackle those conversations i mean you did it very well there i mean it was uh, we'll have to transcribe that, oh, that, no problem. that, that message <laughs> you uh, know, in terms of i, I really like how you uh, were positive in, in working through it seeking the help what are the resources available uh you know all that that's a it's a consultive conversation um versus here's your lease and we're going to enforce it <laughs> right? and creating a problem. But right. um, how do you, how do you work to your teams to become spoken like you have there, I guess? Well, it all starts, I mean, really in the hiring process. And so if you're a regional and you're, you're identifying executives and that's how I think of them at their sites, the property managers are the executives at the site. When you've done that well, you've, I mean, like 70% of the battle is won at that point. And fortunately mm. I had great managers walking into COVID so that I get, I had an arm up, so to speak in that situation. But then we just, we sit down or or actually we have zoom calls because that's how we communicate these days many times. And we just script things out. I mean, even when I was on site and working with leasing agents, I would see them bumping into the same kind of conversation and I would write a script for them. Go Mm -hmm. practice the script. Let's role play the script. And so it just became second nature to have the same version of, of a, of a conversation over and over again. And once you, you practice it a few times in real life, it it really truly does become, um, like breathing Mm -hmm. and you can have those conversations pretty effortlessly. And, and once you have the vocabulary down and the turns of phrase, you know, pretty soon these managers are developing their own scripts for their own teams and it just, it grows from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, tell me a little bit about your, your take on the Phoenix market. I know, tell me about your portfolio if you can or want to. Yeah. Um, and uh, your perspective for you're right in the ground there of what's happening. So, yeah, I mean, the Phoenix market, like everyone knows, is gangbusters, just transaction after transaction. Um, 
you know, people are just buying property because they feel like they got to get in. And John's comments were great. I mean, the fundamentals are key. We still need to pay attention to all the indicators we always have. Don't just get into a deal because you want in. It needs to make sense for you and, and for the client and, you know, for the investment group and what kind of lending is available. So we have to have all those conversations, but the growth is really exciting. It's very encouraging. It, it tells me that this this trend we're in is going to be sustainable. It's not crazy growth. It's exciting. There's a lot happening, but I think it's far more sustainable than we were seeing, you know, before the the great recession. So, you know, I've, I'm pushing 2000 units in my portfolio right now and probably many hundreds of more to come in the next few, few months. So there's a lot of action and a lot of people coming from out of state. You know, we've got Boston, certainly California. We've got groups out of Texas and Tennessee. So everyone's got their eyes on Phoenix. There's there's a lot happening right now. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, t- what's your favorite part about that that role now that you've been in it? And I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, on-site professionals that aspire to be. Right. And sometimes even the people that end up running the companies, they remember the importance of that role. Right. And, you know, you're out there. I mean, in many cases, always re- have been remote, right? Like right. Yeah, global, absolutely. Uh, global yeah. workforce. Uh, what's your favorite aspect, I think, or do you ha- have about that role? Well, I mean, I love site teams, probably because I was on site for so long and I was able to experience the magic that a great site team can make. So I really have a heart for developing great teams. I mean, it's like my mm-hmm. my joy. But but I can only develop great teams if I have assets in my portfolio. So so almost growing growing my building count is my platform for developing great teams. So I the more the more buildings I have, the more great teams I get to develop, and th- that just kind of feeds they feed into each other, and that's where the growth happens. So I like working with banks. I love working with the clients. Certainly underwriting deals, looking at acquisitions. That's all very exhilarating for me. Uh, on the one hand, so and that's a different kind of work than the team development. But they, but when you marry those two things together, I'm finding just a lot of joy in that success. Yeah, they collide almost. They right? they really <laughs> do, and they have to for yeah. it to work well. Right. So now let's talk to the investor. Okay. Uh, uh, or asset manager, because we, we have a national reach here. So a lot of organizations are structured in different ways. Um, what do you say to the investor or the asset manager that, um, you know, they're, they're looking at the data, the information, they're far from the property and their regional manager, regional operator is remote. How do you get the best out of that relationship? Um, what, what's your best advice to the, to the investor or asset manager? So I think I understand your questions. I, I think there's two two things that have to happen. When the investor or the asset manager is not local, just lots of communication. So err on the side of communication. Maybe that's a weekly call. Uh, may, oftentimes when I go to sites, I take video. It's one thing to send a picture, but I feel like a video is a game changer. Mm. Um, I'll take a video of a manager or a leasing agent talking 30 seconds about their success or all the rentals they got that day, and then I send that to the client. So they feel like they're a part of the process and, and it's not just, you know, an Excel spreadsheet and is it red or black? Like it's not just about performance metrics. It's about the people who are getting the job done and and kind of bringing those, those groups together from very far places. Um, But I, you know, we have to stay in close communication with that client. And then all, obviously we need to stay in close communication with the site team and make sure that Mm. they have all the resources that they need, um, the encouragement they need. 
operations is hard. You know, it's from an investor standpoint, we think about it as how many leases you get, you know, how many renewals you sign, what, how much money you're spending, what kind of rent growth you can get from this value add. And it's very technical, mm-hmm. but on the operation side, it's, it's a little bit more emotional mm-hmm. than that because they're getting yelled at. You know, they've got crisis. Just yesterday, I was at a site climbing through a window myself because a woman had fallen and couldn't get up and we could hear her calling. We knew she was in the bathroom. We didn't know if she was dressed or not. And it was me and the male manager. I was like, okay, I'm going in. Sorry. Like I'll I'll take this one, (laughs) you know, and that, so while we're running these multi-million dollar properties, we're also climbing through windows and, and helping elderly people up off of the floor. And, and on the investment side, you don't see that on the day to day. But the operators, the site people are juggling both the emotional side and the technical side. And so just being really mindful of that and, and making everyone aware, the investor aware of of these operational challenges that yes. they might not realize, and also making the staff aware, the site team aware of these very real um, lender obligations and, sure. and investor um, priorities. And if we don't meet these metrics, you know, everything is at stake, housing for the resident, our jobs, you know, we have to, we have to kind of mirror back and forth the priorities of both groups of people. Yeah. They're two different customers. Uh, Very important. Uh, Well, this has been refreshing. Uh, Appreciate you coming in and sharing the time with our audience here in the studio. Thank you. Uh, We're coming up on the moments of time left with you. Are there any final thoughts you want to share our viewers? I just, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you for including me. It's such a privilege to speak to the industry. I love to grow the industry itself. Certainly, I'm a huge advocate for asset and very loyal, but I think we all agree that when we link arms and we make our industry more whole and more strong, we can fight the very real battles that that we face. You know, with a change in administration, certainly the dynamics in Arizona changing pretty quickly with the rent control issue that we've you know, we've had some success in abating, but again, is resurrecting. We have to stay sharp. We have to stay connected and it has to be bigger than our individual management company. So, you know, make your friends, you know, stay connected to others, get involved in the, the AMA, your local association. Look up, look up from your portfolio, look up from the technical side of what you do and really identify how can I add some value to the industry so that we can leave a legacy so that our work is sustainable moving into the future. Because if we don't, we're going to take some hits and they're going to be big ones. Yeah. Sound advice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank really, you. Really enjoyed Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Multifamily Innovation Show. For show notes and other resources, visit multifamilyinnovation.com.